I'm Miranda Lee, and you're listening to the Bread Therapy Mama podcast, a show created for moms who want to feed their families foods that heal them, not hurt them. Food was meant to be our medicine, and the best way to do that is by focusing on the ingredients, not the calories. Here, you'll find everything you need to know about holistic nutrition sprinkled with some motherhood, faith, and non-toxic living along the way. I can't wait to grow with you. Let's dive in. Hello, Amy. Welcome to the Bread Therapy Mama podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. Hi, Miranda. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Yeah, I think like what you're doing is so cool and I'm I'm excited to dive into it and like the fact that you have a cookbook that is just that is so awesome. I can't I can't wait to hear how you got into that cuz I w- when we were talking before you were telling me how um you wrote it with another um farmer's daughter and I think that is just that's so cool. So I can't wait to hear your story. Can you introduce yourself and tell us everything that kind of got you to where you are today? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So my name is Amy Mirdal Miller. Um, the Mirdal is my maiden name, and it comes from Icelandic origin. I grew up in an Icelandic American community on the North Dakota Manitoba border. And I grew up with lots of Icelandic traditions from my dad, who is 100% Icelandic, but my mom was Norwegian and German. And she's the one who taught me how to cook, she taught me how to garden. When I was a little kid, she had this food renaissance and she started making her own yogurt. This was in like the mid 1970s. She started asking my dad to bring in wheat from his granary bins so that she could clean it and sort it and grind it and make her own bread. We had honeybees that were kept on our farm in the summer. And so we always used honey for sweetening, you know, and I have these amazing food memories from my childhood. Um, But when I was seven, I got diagnosed with type one diabetes. So that has had a huge impact on how I think about food and um, diabetes management and, you know, what's good for me, what's good for my body, but also what's good for my lifestyle. I run my own business. It's called Farmer's Daughter Consulting. Not so clever. It's just who I am. And I do lots of work for, um, Oh, companies and entities in our food system that represent farmers. I'm kind of a bridge builder between the people who grow and produce food for the rest of us and those of us who are home cooks. Um, I also do a lot of work with professional cooks, um, food service organizations. So I have so much we could talk about today. I'm just eager for your next question instead of giving my full resume. (laughs) That is that is so cool that that you're just working with all these different people because um, like you and I were talking about earlier, we, we just kind of just like before we started recording, like you and I were saying how we've just really become kind of detached from like where we get our food. Like, I think that's so cool that you remember growing up where like making yogurt or, you know, making bread and doing things from scratch, which it is not like that nowadays. People are, so fast paced and think that they have to, you know, get a hundred hours of work done in 24 hours of the day. And because of that, people don't take the time to kind of sit down and cook and just kind of get back to our roots. So you, I know that you have a cookbook. So can you tell us a little more about your cookbook, maybe how, um, how you growing up kind of inspired this cookbook and, um, I know that you're really into like cardiovascular health as well, like how how that reflects in your cookbook. I'm I'm really excited to hear about uh, all this stuff in your cookbook. I, I my dream one day is to have a cookbook, so I think that's so cool. It, it it's so amazing. Like the power of the universe just astounds me. Um, I belong to a professional organization called La Dames d'Escoffier. It's an international organization of women in food, wine, hospitality, agriculture. And in early January 2021, here in California, we were all still, you know, very much in pandemic mode. And the San Francisco chapter um, said, let's gather on Zoom. I think it was the second week of January. Let's gather on Zoom. Let's have a sparkling beverage of your choice. Let's toast to the new year and talk about our hopes for 2021 while acknowledging 2020 was a really tough year. 
And so um, there were maybe 15 or 16 of us on the Zoom meeting. So we had all the little, you know, squares on the screen and people were saying what they were hoping for. And most of the women said, I'm just hoping to get a vaccine. You know, I'm hoping to get my first vaccine. And I blurted out, I'm hoping to write a book. And I don't know where that came from, but one of the women um, in this Zoom gathering has been a writing coach most of her career, has helped tens of women, probably hundreds of women write cookbooks. And she goes, Amy, what do you want to write about? And I was like, oh, no, I don't know. I just I feel like I have a book in me. So fast forward a couple more weeks, I did a webinar for USA Pulses, which is an organization that represents bean, lentil, and chickpea growers in the United States. And I was talking about the top 10 benefits of pulses from a nutrition and health benefit side, but also from a culinary side uh, or point of view. And one of the listeners on the webinar was Linda Hackfeld, um, who is my co-author on Cooking All a Heart. Linda is actually the mother of Cooking All a Heart. It's a cookbook that was first published in the mid-1980s as part of a research study in Minnesota. They were looking at three communities, Minneapolis, Mankato, and Moorhead. And uh, these communities are separated by quite a few hours of distance. They have different demographics. And the study was all about what are the traits um, of community members in these three distinct communities that will lead them to have better health, health outcomes in terms of heart health or cardiovascular wellness. And Linda was part of the team in Mankato, Minnesota, working on this study. And she and the other um, dietitian said, if we're going to recruit people and ask them to work with us for a number of years, we need some sort of incentive. And they decided that a cookbook would be a good incentive with recipes that helped people eat a little bit better. And so that cookbook was published as part of that research study. And then a few years later, Linda said, you know what, I think I could be a publishing company for other dietitians. So she bought the rights to Cooking All a Heart. Um, and she started publishing books on behalf of dietitians and other healthcare professionals in, let me think, I think it was 1992, um, she published the second edition of Cooking All a Heart. Then in 2006, maybe she published the third edition and then she was going to retire. Um, in 2019, she sold her publishing company to a New York based publisher. She sold the rights to many of the books to the publishing company. And she was like, all right, I'm going to retire. I'm going off into the sunset with my husband to enjoy life after working so hard with my publishing company for 35 years. And then the new publisher called The Experiment, called her one day and said, Linda, we'd like your help updating some of your publications. Can you do a quick update of Cooking All a Heart? And Linda sighed and said, all right, I can spend a month on this and then I can go off into the sunset and retire. Well, she hadn't looked at Cooking All a Heart for a few years and she realized it wasn't just a simple update. It was a massive rewrite for today's home cook that wants more convenience, more one dish or one pot meals, all of the nutrition science and dietary guidance at the beginning of the book needed to be updated. It needed some new chapters and Linda became very overwhelmed, but she'd heard me speak. And without ever having met me, she called and left me a long voicemail introducing herself and saying, I'd like you to work on this cookbook with me. And I started laughing. I'm like, okay, universe, I get it. You heard me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Linda and I worked together for about 16 months. She did um, probably 60% of the recipe development. I did the rest. We did pull in a few recipes that um, people had loved from even from the first edition. One of them is called Berries with Cannoli Cream. Um, there were a few bread recipes that had been retained from the original edition. But anyway, I wrote the first two chapters. I wrote all the recipe. Uh, head notes. I wrote the recipe chapter introductions and I spent countless hours grocery shopping, writing recipe concepts, testing them, rewriting them. So the book finally um, got published in February of 2023 and it's out there looking for a home in anyone's home kitchen for people who want to do a little more cooking, enjoy great flavor, um, enjoy better health and share great food with people they love.
Wow, that is crazy that she just ended up ended up back at her book again and and that you got a that was literally a sign from the universe like oh this is the type of book you're gonna write did you ever think you were gonna write a cookbook out of all types of books I'd done some work um, on cookbooks in the past. I worked in cardiovascular research um, for a cardiologist in Massachusetts for a number of years, and he and I worked on some books together that included recipes. I was a textbook editor um, when I worked for the Culinary Institute of America, so I'm the editor of the fourth edition of Techniques of Healthy Cooking. When I worked for Dole Food Company, I was the editor of a a kid's cookbook and developed some of the recipes. So I've always had this kind of in my different projects for different employers. Did I ever think I'd do a full-blown cookbook with 512 recipes? Nope. (laughs) I think, you know, the most common question I get when I tell this story is, how in the world did Linda pick you after only hearing you on a webinar for one hour? And the answer is we are sisters from another mister. She is about 19 years older than me, but we grew up both farmer's daughters. She grew up on the Minnesota side of the Red River Valley. I grew up in the North Dakota side about two hours apart um, and you know, about 20 years apart. But we're very similar women. And I think she's one of the greatest gifts the world has given me. Um, I just adore her. She's so kind. She's so smart. She's so supportive and so inspiring to me. Wow, that's so awesome. How do you guys, how do you think that your guys' background really um, like poured out into this cookbook? Well, we're both farmers' daughters, so we appreciate where food comes from. We um, both were completely obsessed with rhubarb recipes <laughs> because if you grow I up love on rhubarb. a farm. In that part of the world, rhubarb grows like a weed. Um, so there are lots of rhubarb recipes and, and rhubarb um, inspiration. It's the first thing you can get out of a garden in North Dakota and Minnesota, you know, and in, in um, you know, May, typically the earliest you can start harvesting it. Um, Linda and I are also healthcare professionals, but we're also businesswomen. And, you know, we've both, um, she ran her own business for 35 years. I've been doing it for about 10 years. We understand the pressures of wanting to be a good wife, wanting to put great food in front of people, wanting to have work-life balance. Um, But I think we also both appreciate how soothing it can be to spend time in the kitchen. You know, the beauty of working with produce, the soothing joy of kneading a yeast bread dough, you know, the, the warmth of the dough, that comfort that you get from that process of kneading the joy that you get when something comes out of the oven or from the stovetop or you've baked something and somebody eats it and says, oh my gosh, this is good. And you smile and go, I know. And oh, by the way, it's also good for you. So, you know, we're not, we're not hardcore nutrition police. We're women who enjoy and love all food. We had extensive discussions about, you know, how many chocolate recipes we could put in the book because <laughs> we're both lovers of chocolate. So yeah, Linda and I are, are, are very similar. Um, but she's, she's a very wise woman and has taught me a lot about many, many things. So what were some things that you guys did to kind of bring together the two worlds of like health, but also convenience. Cause I feel like in today's day and age, a lot of the times those can be like two completely separate worlds. And I know you're talking about how Linda was like, okay, like the way the world is now, like people are looking at like, you know, one pot meals or, you know, faster recipes, easier recipes. How did you guys do that? But still make sure that they were, beneficial for your health and just more health conscious foods? So we had a number of principles that we worked from. Um, For cardiovascular wellness, the number one nutrient to be concerned about is sodium. So we were very thoughtful about our use of salt in recipes. Um, I am a huge proponent of a product called Diamond Crystal Kosher Salt. It is, um, and it is, you know, I don't talk about brands very often, but in this case, it it has to be this diamond crystal kosher salt. The magic isn't that it's kosher salt. The magic is that the, the sodium chloride crystals are large and fluffy, like cotton candy. Most sodium chloride crystals are tight and dense. And so when you measure out a teaspoon of like a dense table salt, it weighs six grams. When you measure out a teaspoon 
of diamond crystal kosher salt. It weighs, gosh, I just forgot the math in my head. It's 60% less dense. So you get 60% less sodium. Yeah. And so um, it's an amazing product where you can use it measure per measure, the same as regular salt, and you still get great flavor impact from it. So the salt was the one thing where we were like really, really cautious about. But we also know that um, the traditional Mediterranean diet is more than 40% calories from fat. And so many people think that if it's good for you, if it's healthy eating, it has to be low fat. That is old science. That is old news. That is not true. We need to embrace the flavor and health benefits that healthful fats from things like nuts and seeds and extra virgin olive oil bring to our food. Um, so we were liberal about using things like plant-based oils. You know, I'm a huge proponent of extra virgin olive oil. I love peanut oil if I want a neutral baking oil, but there are some recipes that use butter. And from a cardiovascular point of view, you don't want to use butter every day for all of your, you know, baking and cooking, but once in a while using butter brings amazing flavor, you know? So using, using ingredients thoughtfully was important to us. I think the area where we spent most of our time and discussions and developing recipes was using more fruits and vegetables in all their forms. Um, One out of 10 Americans meets the recommended daily intake for fruits and vegetables. So finding ways to add more of them to recipes, to integrate more of them into meals. Um, We did something called um, matchmaking in the book where we had recipes dating other recipes. We had these relationships that we developed so that people who don't know how to put together meals um, start thinking about, oh, if you're making this main dish, also add this salad. Um, So, you know, I could go on and on about the thought process. And Linda and I met almost every week via Zoom to talk through things, to give each other feedback on recipes. She was the leader of like the, um, the sheet pan meals, Um, she spent a lot of time working on those because we know how popular they are, how easy they are to put all the ingredients on a sheet pan, put it in the oven. We did not embrace like Instapot, um, recipes because neither one of us have one and we didn't want to Mm -hmm. spend our money on, on that item. And we also know there's lots and lots of other resources out there for that. I think, you know, one of the, um, one of the things that I know is that, Cooking all a hard is for people who already like cooking and already like spending some time in the kitchen. But if you are somebody out there listening, going, hmm, should I look at that cookbook? Should I spend more time in the kitchen? Should I eat more fruits and vegetables? But you feel like you don't have the skills. Maybe you don't have the confidence. We did a number of recipes that are called simply cooked, like simply cooked black beans um, or simply roasted carrots. These recipes are kind of the beginner recipes so that people start to build confidence. And then those recipes get integrated into other recipes. So we kind of did this building block system. Yeah. Um, I think I've lost my train of thought, Miranda. <laughs> no, no, you made like I I love I love all the different principles you guys said that you were like basing your recipes off of, but how you still have these recipes that are like simple but like you said they were building blocks and I think that's what so many of us are missing today are kind of like those essential building blocks of cooking that we've kind of just lost touch with the rest of it I mean I have an instant pot don't get me wrong um but I've really been trying to do um recently like my soups and and stuff in like a Dutch oven or something because like I feel like knowing how to cook in a Dutch oven or like a cast iron skillet, like those are, those are like the basics, just knowing how to do that. And even like now I'm still like, okay, I need to make sure like I'm seasoning and cleaning my, 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 um, my cast iron pan, right? Like that's still like kind of new and and different for me. And, you know, I, I also have like my, my dad always makes fun of me about it, but I, I love it is um it's kind of like a little hard an egg hard boiler you just put your eggs in and it, it does it for you I know how to hard boil eggs 
but you know I, I try to like pick and choose some of the convenient stuff um but yeah I've I've really been trying to get back to the basics because I feel like just over the years these are the things that we've kind of fallen out of touch with and I love that you said like your cookbook has those little things that like you said they're building blocks to you know to to take the next steps I know a lot of people get intimidated by like sourdough bread but I'm just like it's not that hard it's like just understanding the starter I think that's the hardest part for people like once you understand the starter and you're able to make a loaf of bread like you can do anything and everything with sourdough so I'm sure like some of your recipes you can just start switching things up and you know maybe doing a different vegetable or a different fruit and then it's kind of like you know how to cook and you can you can start making your own cookbook (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, another one of the the platforms that we used were bowls with different components, like simply cooked brown rice, simply cooked black beans, a simply roasted vegetable, your protein of choice, and then one of our sauces, you know, to add kind of creamy deliciousness and some healthy fats and maybe something crunchy from like a spiced nut. We put together recipes that we know are delicious and work, but think about it like going through the line at Chipotle. What do you love? Add that. What don't you love? Don't add that. You know, our recipes are, are, um, delicious. They're proven. Our husbands and neighbors tried them and gave us feedback. But if you see something, you know, if you're somebody out there currently has the cookbook or you buy it and you're like, man, I hate grapes. Fine. Don't put the roasted grapes in the farro dish. That is okay. Hey mamas. If you are ready to start your sourdough journey, but you don't know how to get started, do not worry. I have the perfect thing for you guys. I have come up with a sourdough kit that I sell on my Etsy page that has a mason jar that is the perfect size for your sourdough starter. I have dehydrated sourdough starter in there with step-by-step instructions for how to rehydrate your starter understanding your starter and of course making your sourdough bread it also comes with two handmade covers one is a jar cover that goes on top of your mason jar when you have your sourdough starter in there and the other bowl cover is much bigger to go on your bowls when you are proofing your sourdough so if you are ready to start your sourdough journey and you want step-by-step instructions, you want the help, you want as many resources as you can get, don't worry, all that stuff comes with your sourdough kit that you can get on my Etsy shop. So just go to breadtherapymama.etsy.com and you will find my shop there or you can check for the link in the show notes. All right, you guys, let's get back to the show. I, I am very much a cook from the hip kind of gal during the week where I'm like, what do I have on hand? What do I feel like cooking? I'm going to put it together. I'm going to try something new. But on the weekends, then I will turn to my cookbook because I haven't made a lot of Linda's recipes yet. I've made many of them, but I got a ways to go to cook through the book or I'll pick up, you know, my latest issue of food and wine magazine, or I'll go back to one of the church cookbooks that my mom had when I was a little kid and I'll make something very comforting. So, you know, I don't always cook from recipes. Sometimes I just put together things that I love and I know will be delicious. And, you know, I want to give people out there permission to lean into what works for you. You know, like we were talking about beans a moment ago. Yeah, I can cook a dry bean from scratch. I know that I have to plan ahead and get it, you know, the beans cleaned and washed and soaked and, you know, or I can go to the store and buy a can and open them up drain them, rinse them. The draining and rinsing removes some of the sodium that's used in the canning process. But I also know that when I open up a can of beans, every single one of them is going to be creamy, delicious, perfectly cooked. I might not always get there. I might be buying beans that were two, three years old, and it takes longer to get them cooked to soft perfection. So I am a big fan of shortcuts. I'm also a big fan of people having the skills to start from you know, that ingredient as it comes from the field or is minimally processed. But I don't want anybody to feel guilty for taking a shortcut. I'd say at least two nights a week, the vegetable that I put on my husband's plate is one of those steam and microwave bag things. Yeah, they're a little more expensive, but 
that's super quick and easy. When I am rushing to get dinner on the table and I want him to eat another vegetable, I will do one of those and he will go, can I have some cheese on it? And I'm like, of course you can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. That's so true. It's like finding a balance between, between both because yeah, like in a perfect world, we'd make everything from scratch and everything would be grown in our, you know, locally and like our little commune. But like, that's not realistic. That's not how the world is. But it doesn't mean that we just have to, you know, stray, stray away from our roots. And even like, like with your recipes and stuff, like you don't have to be like a professional chef. If you like, if you really nail the basics of like you know how to roast a vegetable you know you know how to um make beans you know how to you know properly cook your chicken in the oven so it's nice and moist like if you master like those few things like there's so many things you can do with that and I feel like that's why people can be so intimidated by like cooking from scratch or following recipes for like for stuff that sounds like really good like like oh no there's gonna be like a zillion steps or I'm not gonna be that good at it and I don't know I just don't think that's a reason to be intimidated and if you mess up like whatever just try again it's not a big deal that's how we learn yeah absolutely I do know though that people like that there's frustration when you make a recipe and it doesn't work out or you or your family doesn't love it I get that so you know, I, I, I can appreciate that. I feel the same way when something fails in, in my home and my husband's like, well, I wouldn't put it on the rotation. I'm like, okay, honey, you didn't love it. <laughs> neither did I. When, when people um ask me about the cookbook and they're like, what's your favorite recipe? Well, I don't really have a favorite kid, but I do know a recipe that everybody loves and it's titled um, Greek inspired baked chickpeas with tomatoes and feta. It is easy, delicious, convenient. You open up two cans of chickpeas, you drain and rinse them. You put them in the baking pan, like a nine inch square baking pan. Then you take a can of diced tomatoes and juice. You put that in there. You add some crumbled feta cheese, a little honey, a little lemon juice, a little um, olive oil and oregano. So everything gets mixed in the baking pan. You put it in a 350 oven for, I think it's 25, 30 minutes. You take it out. You eat it and enjoy it. It's even better the next day. If you have some bread to sop up those pan juices, it's so delicious. And if you take that mixture and you have some roast chicken, it's a complete meal. If you take that mixture and you put it over some rice, it's a vegetarian complete meal. If you leave out the feta cheese, it's a vegan side dish or vegan main meal. It's the easiest, most delicious recipe. And and like my husband before I made that recipe and I was telling him about the concept, he was like, I don't like chickpeas. How do you know that? I don't like chickpeas. I don't like hummus. I don't like chickpeas. I made that for him. And it's something that he asked me to make about once a month now. So that's been in the rotation has been approved for more than two years now. Oh, that sounds so good. And I love that. Like it has those healthy fats. It has the fiber with the veggies. Like it does have, um, you know, plant-based protein or you can, or you can pair it with, you know, chicken or whatever it may be. Like it's so versatile and I, and I love that. And I, I feel like there's so many like recipes that you can just make so versatile that can like be in your rotation, but it doesn't feel like you're eating like the same five things, you know, like I love to make like a pot pie, I call it a pot pie, but I don't even think it's actually a pot pie. Um, I love like to make like this little like pot pie for my husband. And um, it has like, you know, whatever meat of choice, whatever veggies, you know, and all the juices and the cast iron. And I'll do like, um, I'll take like my sourdough discard and put it on top. And oh man, he loves it. And he can just switch around the veggies. Sometimes I'll put potatoes in there. Sometimes I'll do chicken. Sometimes I'll do, you know, like stew meat, like it's basically this, you're doing the same thing, but you switch up the ingredients and it's like a completely different meal. And like, you know, it works. You you only have to master a few things. Yeah. It's such a joyful way of cooking when you have like that piece of equipment or that pan and you've got the general categories of ingredients and you just start playing around with it. I love that. You, You said Dutch oven a few minutes ago, and it makes me think about another really uh, awesome recipe that goes in the rotation. It's a braised beef uh, roast, like two and a half, three pounds, where you add beer and diced onions, um, chipotles, you know, the in adobo. 
and you braise it for like two and a half, three hours. You shred it with a fork and you've got this spicy shredded beef. And in the cookbook, you know, we call it spicy shredded beef street tacos. And then there's this creamy cilantro coleslaw to put on top to kind of cool the heat of the those spicy chipotles. But, you know, braising in the oven, you know, where you just like you put everything in the pot, you put it in, you leave it two to three hours later, you come back to deliciousness. That's another really satisfying way to cook. And I do that with chicken. Um, I do it with pork, you know, and then you've got, you've got kind of a massive amount. Like when you start with a two and a half, three pound roast, but then when I freeze that, you know, and like six weeks later, I'm digging around in the freezer, like a squirrel. And I find like, Oh, Oh my gosh, I have the shredded spicy beef and we've got some rice in the in the um fridge and we've got some corn in the in the freezer and I'm like, "Oh my god, it's instant dinner." So, I just gave myself goosebumps. Like I feel like I'm so nerding out right now, but this is such a fun <laughs> conversation. I know, it's funny right when you said like like the braised beef or whatever, I was like, "Oh my gosh, you could totally do that like on you can make your own like nachos at home." Like that would be a great topping on like some tortilla chips. You can add like your salsa and what like that sounds so like it's like once again so versatile. There's so many things you can do like with one recipe, one meal. There's so many like it's just it's awesome. It's better than just like, you know, going to the store and um you know, there's always a time and place to, you know, go have your your takeout food or you know, your whatever meal from the store, but like these things, like it just brings you joy when you take the time to make a meal at home. And when your kitchen smells so good and you find the things that work and then you, you do the little changes here and there, like my husband will get into it too. He's like, Oh, but what if we did this type of seasoning instead? Or what if you tried this instead? And it's just, it brings, it brings joy home. I feel like we are just so like I said disconnected from not only like where our food comes from but even like taking time out of our day to cook food I feel like we see that as an inconvenience like oh it's gonna take a couple hours to cook or like with making bread like there's so much proofing and waiting and like work that you have to put into it but that's how people that's how people did it back in the day and I I truly believe that's why people were probably a lot healthier back in the day too like they there was pride in their food and things were actually made from scratch and with love and they knew where their ingredients were coming from. Yeah. I mean, you know, 150 years ago, nearly every person in this country had some level of food self-sufficiency. It was over 90% of the population was growing and producing some or most of their own food. There were exceptions like sugar and coffee. Um, And, you know, today it's less than one 0.5% of the U.S. population is involved in agriculture. So, you know, for those of us who have a garden, you know, I have some pepper plants here in Northern California. I have some tomatoes. I have citrus trees. That doesn't feed me and my family. That gives me immense joy. It's a form of stress relief and pride that, Mm -hmm. you know, I can pick fruit off a citrus tree in December. I can pick, I'm still picking chili peppers off a chili pepper plant that'll probably go until we get a hard freeze in January. But, you know, I am very grateful when I can go to the grocery store and get food in such an easy manner, you know, without all the incredible hard work. I spent some time in North Dakota last week in a combine with one of my brothers. Um, I spent two hours in a combine with him, combining soybeans, going three and a half miles an hour. It was kind of a dreary overcast day. And I was watching the equipment in the combine. There was this huge monitor that was showing like about every 20 feet, how the um, yield was changing based on the soil conditions, the moisture in that part of the field. It was so fascinating and it was so boring. And I was like, I cannot (laughs) believe that he and my other two brothers, this is what they do all day, every day for 12 to 16 hours a day during harvest. The same thing is repeated in the spring, except that's when they're putting seed in the ground, hoping that something will be produced during the growing season. So I'm immensely proud that I come from agriculture, that I come from a farming family. I'm proud that I have three brothers who are part of that 1.5% of the U.S. population growing and producing food for the rest of us. And I'm super grateful. I don't have to do that for myself. You know, um, I feel it's it, yeah. it's a real blessing for us to be able to go to the store But I also like, I feel blessed that my mom gave me cooking skills at home that I got to take home ec when I was in school that as a registered dietitian, I took food science classes and dorked out on the properties of, 
you know, different ingredients in our food science lab classes. Um, and I feel blessed that I like cooking. You know, I really love it. Like when I finish working, um, there are three things that I'm likely to do. Uh, read part of my book for my book club, go to the grocery store to shop, go to the gym. And then after one of those things, start prepping for an evening meal. My husband and I maybe go out two to three times a month to a restaurant. We maybe get takeout maybe one night a week. The rest of the time I'm cooking or I'm reassembling leftovers and um, we don't have kids. I mean, and admittedly, I don't have the pressure of picking up kids after school or driving them to soccer, you know, or having somebody go, mom, I'm starving, you know? And I'm like, okay, okay. I do have a husband who sometimes feels like a little kid. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, because I have type one diabetes, it's really important to me to feed myself and my husband. Well, I want to have a 50th wedding anniversary. That's one of my bucket list items, but we didn't get married until we were 37. So I got to stay healthy. I also have to stay nice, you know, for a long time. <laughs> so, you know, this stuff really matters to me and to anybody out there listening for whom it currently matters, or you want it to matter a little bit more, give yourself permission um, to use convenience products. Don't let food lead you to feel guilty. Find ways that food makes you feel amazing and proud and happy and healthy. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. I think like just the best way to kind of, you know, take that step closer to our roots is like, you know, find one little thing like you can change, you know, and if that's maybe like try to do a more from scratch meal, like maybe once a week, like that's, that's such a great win. If it's maybe, you know, what, I'm going to try this same recipe that I do in my instant pot, but try it in a Dutch oven. Like, yeah, do something like that. And I think it's just a challenge that we all, that we all should try. But like you said, not feel guilty about, you know, the convenience food or the bagged vegetables. But I think, I think kind of like education is an awareness is like kind of like the number one thing, like realizing like, okay, our food doesn't come from the grocery store. Like the grocery store is the middle man, you know? Yep. And that's how like, I want to raise my kids is like, all right, like this is where food actually comes from. You know, that's why I try to, you know, when I can like go to farmer's markets and try to get my produce there. Um, I've been with my sourdough bread. I try to, um, swap as much as I can. Like that's like my thing. Like I'll swap with like local farmers or people with like a little backyard farm. I, I love swapping for like chicken eggs, duck eggs, quail eggs. I love swapping for that or like swapping for figs or whatever fruits and veggies people have. Because it just kind of takes me takes me back to a time that I'm not even from where I'm like, wow, this is just there's just so much more pride in in your food. And, you yeah. know, taking like that one little step that can kind of take you back to your roots. Because if you just are like, oh, I'm going to cook everything from scratch and just follow um, just follow recipes and never go out to eat. Like, I feel like it won't be as enjoyable because you're you know, you're not really connecting, you feel a little forced. I think, you know, you said something really important about, you know, go back to your roots. Um, you know, my roots growing up in North Dakota, we, we ate a lot of the stuff that was grown on the farm, but we ate a lot of foods that were influenced by my dad's Icelandic heritage and like Icelandic baking, um, uses a lot of dried fruit because Iceland and Island country, they now are growing bananas indoor in Iceland, but, you know, back when my great grandparents uh, emigrated from Iceland, all they had were like raisins and prunes, right? So all Icelandic baking uh, tends to incorporate purees of those or raisins in their whole form. And it always includes cardamom. So I am like just a dork about recipes with cardamom. I'm the same way about rhubarb. You know, we talked about it earlier. It's the first thing you can harvest out of the garden. Um you know, now I'm married to a guy who grew up in Louisiana. So Cajun and Creole cooking is part of his culture because he grew up kind of in a little plantation town outside of New Orleans. And that's what his mom and grandma cooked. And so that's part of his, you know, roots and heritage. And if I say I'm making like jambalaya, he'll almost start crying. He gets so excited about it. You know, and that was something I had to learn to make so that he said, yeah, this is pretty close to what I grew up with. And I love this. And thank you. I did make it one time, um, with Faro. 
<laughs> instead of rice. And that was almost a marriage breaking deal. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you, get, you go too far and, and people are like, oh no, Amy, don't do that. Um, one of the other tips, um, you know, I wanted to share today is about breakfast and how hard it is for people who are trying to get out of the house in the morning for work or school or trying to get into the office at home for work and finding a way to make breakfast like easy and approachable. Um, I think that breakfast bakes like egg bakes with vegetables are so powerful because you can make them on Sunday, cut them up in a pan, you can portion them out and they can be microwaved in like 45 seconds to a minute and a half. And you've got something that's like warm and comforting and a complete breakfast, you know, along with your coffee, juice, whatever else you like in the morning. So, you know, there's a couple concepts or recipes like that in the cookbook. But um, I think that egg bakes that include vegetables because you want good protein at breakfast. I'm always trying to get people to eat more fruits and vegetables. I think that is a great way to start your day in an easy, convenient way. And all it takes is that you know, like hour on a Sunday afternoon to put it together, bake it, portion it out, and you're good to go for the week. I think that's like the perfect combination of like the from scratch cooking, but then also like convenience, you know, because you you sit there, you make your breakfast for the week, but then you're able to like throw it in the fridge or the freezer and then throw it in the microwave when you want to have it. And it's like, it's kind of the best of both worlds. And that's what like I, I tell people to do. I'm like, no one wants like to meal prep like I did years and years of like meal prepping where you just have like the rice broccoli and chicken in your little pl sad plastic container like no one wants to do, do that but like if you prep like your veggies and then you prep like your um like your protein or whatever may be and like you kind of have that ready like I feel like that's like the best way to meal prep for that can that convenience like if you're on the go and you're like you know what I can just do a quick stir fry or I can make tacos out of it or you know making those like breakfast burritos or whatever it may be like I think there's like this really nice balance that we can take advantage of of you know using the good fresh quality ingredients making sure you're getting your protein your fiber your fruits and veggies in but then like also acknowledging the fact that we are busy and we can throw things in the microwave if we need to. Um, and just, you know, finding that mix of both, I think is what a lot of people need to try to do because we like to live on, I feel like one end of the spectrum, like this all or nothing mentality and, and health and wellness is really in that gray area. Absolutely. You know, your comment about the, the chicken rice broccoli, um, I can remember doing that back in my thirties. I was a single woman living in Southern California. I was traveling 70% of the time for my job and I just was getting so bored with it. And then somebody I worked with was talking about how much they love the tzatziki from Trader Joe's. And I was like, Oh, I'll try that. And then I put some on my rice, broccoli, chicken. I'm like, well, that makes it more interesting. And then the next week I brought some salsa and decided I didn't like salsa combined with broccoli, but I really like salsa combined with carrots. And so sauces became my gateway to make my like staple meal more interesting and exciting. And most of them were adding more veg to the meal. So yeah, I think that, you know, sauces and salsas and aiolis are great ways to make maybe something that's you like, but you're getting bored with. It's a way to add new life to a meal like that. Yeah, because you know what, like, once you think about it, like, there's only so many foods in the world, yet there's like a zillion different recipes. And it's just because yep. we have these different combinations. Like you said, we have these different sauces that we can use. And like, there's only so many foods, but just because you limit yourself to like, you know, being like a professional at these certain amount of things doesn't mean that there's a limit on how many great, healthy, but still delicious recipes that you can make. Absolutely. One of the other things that Linda and I really leaned into was taking recipes from all sorts of cultural foodways around the world, getting inspiration from Southeast Asia, um, you know, Northern Europe, Scandinavian countries, Latin countries. There's this tendency to believe that like, I'm using air quotes when I say this, the best eating pattern is Mediterranean and a traditional Mediterranean eating pattern has lots of science behind it. It is a very healthful way of eating, 
that doesn't mean that there aren't food cultures from other parts of the world that are also very plant forward, very healthful, very delicious. So, um, you know, I've gotten some feedback from people like, oh, I was so surprised that you had a, you know, a Singapore dish in the book. I thought it was all about Mediterranean eating or, oh, you had something that mentioned Iceland. And I'm like, yeah, there are food cultures all around the world that we should be celebrating. And people, you know, there's this sense of acculturation when people move into the U.S. and they lose their ways of eating and they adopt our way of eating, which if it becomes so reliant on ultra processed foods, we get away from those healthful eating patterns in our cultures. So I, um, you know, I'm a big proponent of people embracing the food culture you grew up with. If it has some roots, um, you know, from a part of the world that, that, you know, have a lot to teach the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. It is so interesting looking at um, like just the way different cultures eat because there's a lot of times like they're so different, but like they're like you said, there's not like one right way. Like my husband, my husband's Korean. So, you know, we we try to, you know, we love Korean food. We're actually gonna have Korean food for dinner. Um, you know, he makes some Korean food. I try to learn some of the recipes and stuff, but it's you know, it's interesting. I like, was looking at it because it's a lot of first of all, a lot of vegetables, yep. a lot of rice, and yep. then lots of fermented foods. Which are awesome. And, yeah, so good. Like when you think of I, I know when people think of kimchi, they'll think of like one type, but there's like so many different types of kimchi. Does your husband eat like, kimchi? Know, um, he doesn't, but um my mother-in-law does, and I know oh. his grandma used to. So um yeah, I'm I've been trying to learn how to make it. There's like some like radish kimchi that's really good that we like. And um yeah, we love like going to the Asian market and like getting different kimchi, but like just looking into how they eat is just so interesting because like they eat rice and Americans are just like oh like carbs are bad and then you see all these different cultures where like they're not eating big plates of meat you know they're eating the rice they're eating a bunch of veggies um you know they're having more volume in their food because you know people weren't eating pounds and pounds of meat because that wasn't something that people necessarily afforded or had access to. Right. So it's just, I, I like how, how you said, you know, looking into all these different cultures, because there's not like one right way to eat. Yeah. I mean, the reason there are so many plant forward food cultures around the world is that um, animals were, were, you know, prized for providing milk, maybe, you know, they were a source of dairy, um, that meat and other, you know, marine protein sources more, were more expensive. Maybe if you were fishing off the coast of Southeast Asia, you know, and you had lots of fish and maybe shrimp occasionally, but, you know, meat as a condiment or meat in smaller portions with more vegetables is a very healthful way of eating. It's not to say that there's anything wrong with eating animal-based sources or marine-based sources of protein. It's that the dietary patterns that have developed here in the U.S. that have more and more meat and less and less fruits, vegetables, legumes, that's what gets us away from, from better health. So, you know, Linda and I, Linda and I have a joke about the cookbook that we didn't eliminate any foods or food groups. All we eliminated was nonsense. You know, we're dietitians. We followed the science. We also followed our our, you know, strong beliefs in inclusivity and diversity and healthful eating patterns. We leaned into things we love, like rhubarb. Um, you know, Linda loves wild rice because it grows wild in Minnesota, where I live here in Northern California. We have cultivated wild rice. I didn't grow up eating a lot of it because in North Dakota, it was pretty expensive. And, and, you know, when we got it, it was kind of like a special occasion thing. Like my mom would make one wild rice chicken soup each fall, maybe, you know, but for me here in Northern California, um, th there is just endless abundance. And I know you grew up in Southern California. Like you realize that California is a real blessed place to live. We have over 400 crops that grow here in California. We produce so much. Um, I mentioned my garden earlier. If I had a great tomato plant, I don't, I chose poorly this year, but I've been able to harvest fresh tomatoes on Thanksgiving before, you know, we've got these amazing weather patterns. Um, we've also got drought. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast, you know? So I think it, that's the other part of, 
you know, thinking about local seasonal eating, but being realistic about where you are and what is locally available. Having grown up on a farm in North Dakota, my mom pickled and preserved and froze and canned everything that she possibly could. So, you know, in the winter, you know, we were always buying things like peanut butter and oranges. I think my dad bought those every time he went to the grocery store, but we were also going to our deep freeze in the basement and pulling out frozen vegetables from my mom's garden, canned peaches, you know, off the shelf in the basement. No peaches don't grow in North Dakota, but we always got a lug of peaches in August, typically the hottest week when I'd have to help my mom put up the peaches. Um, you know, so now that I can go into a grocery store and buy stuff that was grown within you know, five to 50 miles of where I live in Northern California is amazing. But I, I respect the fact that healthy eating has to be approachable and affordable for everybody. It's okay to buy stuff that's in a can. It's okay to buy stuff in a freezer. It's okay to take some shortcuts. Just please eat more fruits and vegetables. Stop feeling guilty. Take a wee bit more time on ingredient selection. Take a wee bit more time in your kitchen. Like you said earlier, Miranda, make just make one thing. If you haven't been in your kitchen for a while cooking, try to make one thing this weekend. Maybe it's a quick bread, you know, that you can serve that makes your house smell amazing and provides some comforting aromas. Maybe it's just some scrambled eggs for breakfast tomorrow morning. Yep. Yep. So true. I love that. That is so awesome. So where can people find you connect with you? And also where can they find your cookbook? So I have a website for my business called farmersdaughterconsulting.com. You can read about me in my bio there. You can also find a link to buying Cooking All a Heart. But Cooking All a Heart is available everywhere books are sold. If your local bookstore doesn't have it in stock, they can order it from you. Of course, the big retailers have it available like amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, target.com. Um, and then if you're on social media and you like to see cat photos and food photos, I'm on Instagram at Allaheart Amy. So A-L-A Heart H-E-A-R-T Amy A-M-Y. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amy. This is such an amazing conversation. I'm so glad I got to chat with you and I can't wait to check out your cookbook. Thanks, Miranda. I had a joyful time with you today. Would love to talk with you anytime in the future. Thank you all for joining me in another episode of the Bread Therapy Mama podcast. If you like this kind of content, check out my blog for recipes, how-tos, product recommendations, and more. Just go to breadtherapymama.com. I'll see you all in the next episode.